Well, hi, everybody. It's Kim Winter from Logistics Executive Group again, and welcome to our latest podcast. Uh, thank you for giving up your time today. Joined by a couple of very special guests today in Oman, in the city of Muscat, or close to Muscat. We'll hear a little bit more about that. But uh, before I start, gentlemen, Mark Hardiman, CEO of Port of Salala, and Sunil Joseph, COO of Port of Salala. Uh, salam alaikum, gentlemen. Alaikum salam. And Ramadan and Ramadan Kareem. Afwan. Thank you so much, Kim. Nice to be here. Very good. Thanks for joining us. And um, I trust that uh, you're just about at the end of the day, Thursday here, and uh, we have, hope you have a great weekend. As we start, as I said, uh, Mark, you are the uh, Chief Executive Officer of the Port of Salala. Uh, Sunil, you're the Chief Operating Officer. Why don't we start? Uh, most of the audience really enjoys finding out a little bit about um, the upbringing and background of our guests, uh, and then we'll get into uh, Port of Salala, your backgrounds, careers, and what's going on in Oman. So uh, maybe Sunil, we'll start with you. Where were you brought up? Where did it all start for you? Well, I'm from uh, I'm from India. I'm from the um, from a small port city down south called uh, Cochin, um, which is uh, one of the maritime uh, you know uh, ports uh, in in India. Um, so um, I have uh, completely gotten used to a different industry, but uh, I somehow got fascinated by the ports, uh, and then I joined up uh, with Musk um, way back in 1993. Um, and then started working um, uh, from there. So I was uh, more of a, of the commercial side. Uh, and just wish to correct you, I'm on the I'm, I'm its chief commercial officer for Port of Salala. Um, so I, I have always had that uh, uh, commercial, um, uh, you know, uh, interest, and I've worked from there. Then I moved to the Middle East uh, in 1996, um, and then worked in uh, in UAE for quite some time. And then moved on to Qatar uh, with with Musk, uh, as well as then came to Oman uh, from 2006 to eight. Moved to Saudi, uh, where we have a Saudi cluster that includes Saudi, Bahrain, and Yemen. Uh, and I was uh, uh, heading that for about five years. And uh, then I thought, uh, you know, uh, we've had enough of uh, the, the the lineup. Why don't I just also have a taste of the ports uh, to see how. Uh, does it feel to be on the other side of that? Uh, so then I moved uh, to APM Terminals, uh, worked in India for some time, came back to Bahrain Terminal, and uh, now I'm here for the last one year. Wow, that's a that's a big journey around the Middle East in particular. So um, well done so far. Mark, uh, where did it all start for you? Which country? What happened when you were a kid? And how the hell did you end up in the, uh, in the ports industry? Great question, Kim. Um, yeah, so I'll give a little bit of my backstory, I suppose. So I'm a real farm boy. I grew up in South Africa. Um, to um, uh, well, my my mother was Dutch, and my and my father's South African, but I was born and bred in South Africa. Um, like I said, my dad, who actually still farms uh, down, he's farming macadamia nuts, actually, of all things. Uh, he's still on the farm that I that I grew up on. It was a great upbringing, really great lifestyle. Um, and then uh, I suppose typical like many of us, right? Uh, you don't quite know where life is going to take you. I came, I came out of school and then uh, went to the army for a little bit, and then decided, well, I need to sort of find something that I'm going to I'm going to do in life. So my original intention actually was um, to go to sea. 
Um, and I started at, uh, at a naval uh, college, um, a maritime college. But then unfortunately, I actually failed an eye test at the uh, South African Department of Transport because I've got a very slight colorblindness. Um, and that, of course, doesn't work when you want to go to sea. So that kind of um, cemented my future, I suppose, more on the, on the land side of, uh, of our industry as opposed to my original intention of, of going to sea. So that was, that was really how I got into it, I suppose. Um, and then, uh, you know, I started off, um, you know, after studying, I went into, um, into work as a trainee. Um, actually, my, the first company I worked for was uh, MSC Mediterranean Shipping Company in South Africa. And then the career just progressed, I suppose. Uh, from there, I, I joined Maersk a couple of years later and then um, got an opportunity abroad um, after a couple of years as a, as a fairly young, young chap of around 27. I took my first international assignment, assuming it was going to be just for a short while um and then uh, moved back to south africa but uh, it hasn't been a short while i'm now on country number seven um, and that's a combination of working um in africa my first assignment was in nigeria uh, and then a bit in uh, in my first stint in the middle east was actually in egypt from egypt i, I then moved to europe for a bit to to belgium um and then uh, a lot of the rest of my experience has then been in uh, in in, uh, in the gulf so dubai bahrain as well um, and now Oman for the last three years. Um, I originally started off on the liner side of it. About the first, what, five years of my career was was the liner side. But then um, since then, I've now been uh, in, in ports. So uh, a little bit of an earlier transition, the same background as Sunil, I suppose, but an earlier transition into the port side. So I've been, uh, you know, in the ports now for, what, uh, almost 25 years in, in that way as well. So, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, interesting. And you didn't quite, I didn't quite but uh, I very much enjoy what I do. And it's a, it's a great industry to be a part of, that's for, for sure. Yeah, awesome. Well, I've been, um, I've been to the, uh, the beautiful Sultanate of, of Oman many times and some great times there. It's an extremely beautiful country and uh, the culture there is, is what you call really, really authentic. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's down to earth. Um, the people are very cosmopolitan, of course, having been a centre of a, a trading and maritime centre for over many hundreds of years, of course, over, over the ages. It's extremely interesting history there, as well as the archi architecture. Uh, port of Salala is, is a major port in the region. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, the port and uh, its significance and, uh, and what, what happens there. Maybe, Mark, we can start with you and Sunil will uh, a couple of things from you later. Yeah, absolutely. So Port of Salala is a, a super interesting place, and, and and I mean, as I just explained, I've been to many you know parts of the world, um, and I and I and I really love Oman. I mean, it's just such a fantastic country, and I'm not just saying that. Um, I really mean that from the bottom of my heart. I mean, you got I think some of the most friendly people in the world here. It really is a, a lovely place. A lot of natural beauty, of course, as well. Um, and it is really just a you know a pleasure to be here. Salala is a, is a special place, and 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 I think. Um, well, not I think I know that a lot of the success of the Port of Salale is very much built around geographical location. I think that we we run a, on a on a key trading route, of course, between east and west, very strategically located, um, and that also then ties into the history of of Oman, you know, in that sense as well, because of the proximity to some of those those key markets and being on that on that main trading lane, um, and and that really has um, has cemented the transshipment side of the business, which people know about as well but there's a lot more to Salala than just transshipment but that has really been I think the um the you know the key to 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 what has driven our business in the last 
in the last uh, two decades. And the reason I say two decades is because that's how long the port has been operating the current concession that uh, that we have on behalf of, of the government. But we should also say is that the port of Salala, um, previously known as Port Reisut, the traditional name, you know, has been in existence for a, a lot a lot longer than that. Um, uh, it's been a traditional trading point you know, for, for many centuries in, in, in that sense as well. And it's, it's a very super interesting um, history, you know, if you, if you look back into, into the, the whole of Oman, but in particular this coastline, you know, where, where we are now in the southern part. Um, and, um, and, yeah, that's very much what, what it is in terms of the, the, the context of, of, of where the business is at the moment. But, um, ah, Sunil, maybe, maybe you want to add a bit to that part as well. You, you, you know the region, if not better than me, right? No, absolutely. Um, thanks, Mark. Uh, so, um, uh, you know, Salala is, uh, before anything else, uh, uh, you know, uh, a very favorite place for me because it's closer to, uh, it has a lot of resemblance to my hometown, uh, which is Kerala. It's, it's green. It's got the nice uh, tropical weather. Uh, so I'm very comfortable in, in, in Salala. Uh, but uh, apart from that, work-wise, uh, you know, uh, from the port, uh, when, when we look at it, uh, it is still, uh, I feel, uh, a very virgin, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, port arrangement, port setup, where there is a multi-port, uh, you have ample opportunities to develop further. Uh, there's a lot more um, exploration that can be done. There is a lot more expansion that can be done um, with, with the uh, free zone, with the airport, with the port, um, all uh, in a very nascent uh, not the port, uh, the Salara free zone and the other parts of the economy still to gather momentum. So I think we can be uh, based on the networks that call into Salara in, into Port of Salala today with all the um, <clears throat> the the one of the best world's well, you know biggest uh, two carriers, Maersk and Embassy, have got their key networks uh, in Salala. So uh, I think there's a lot that Salala has to offer to a potential uh, customer. So uh, that also uh, gives more opportunities for further growth. And apart from that. I think uh, the beauty of uh, Salala is also the multi-port uh, uh, setup here where uh, your uh, ability to uh, expand uh, into the supply chain uh, goes beyond just containers. So you can do, uh, you know, de-stuffing, de-stuff delivery, a lot of value-added services, et cetera. So I think the uh, the limits to what you can go to is, is, uh, um, is just absolutely, uh, you know, uh, much higher than uh, any other location. So. Um, the key geographic location itself uh, is 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 uh, unique. Uh, its unique place uh, in the geography itself is is uh, uh, one of the key aspects of uh, the attraction here. Sure. So just to explain to our audience, you're sort of next door to Yemen. You're just across the road from Iran, up up a bit further up the map, up to Pakistan. India's over the ocean, and then straight into the the Straits of Hormuz, into the Gulf with all of the Gulf states. So uh, extremely uh, strategic positioning there. And as you say, uh, a hub for trading over many hundreds of years. Perhaps, uh, sorry, go ahead, Sunil. No, 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 absolutely. So, uh, and I think these are all the next uh, developing uh, countries, including the likes of uh, Somalia, the Yemen reconstruction. Um, so as you rightly said, the Indian subcontinent, the, the African market. So we are actually here, Back in the middle of this huge potential uh, growth areas uh, of the future. So, Mark, maybe you could talk to us a little bit about the value of, of Port of Salala to the economy. What's what sort of goods are being handled there? Uh, what's uh, the economic value proposition from the Port of Salala? Because you've got two or three other ports 
within the country of Oman, uh, but you have the strategic advantage of location to a degree. And so what happens there? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so Salala again, very much around geographical location, and you you mentioned this one as one. I think you know key markets we also we're talking there is East Africa as well as South Asia, where we have the the, the, the close proximity to. Um, and as a result of what we've spoken about, um, you know, for so uh, already spoken about it at quite length, is. Um, the um, the transshipment side of the business, um, as 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 we as we said, the the difference between Salala and um, and the other main ports in Oman is the fact that the others are more gateways. Of course, they have um, especially Soha. They have a much bigger captive market in the sense that they're much bigger, to, closer to a bigger um, you know uh, cosmopolitan or let's say um, uh, population uh, density. Uh, Market, let's say, so Lala in itself, the, the the town is is relatively small, so we don't have a big amount of of, of gate cargo. So, but that's something that certainly um, we plan to change in terms of um, our our offerings. Um, we want to capture a lot more of the um, the the volume that can go through the gates. And again, I come back to the geographical location because we're close to those key markets, those 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 big uh, East African, South Asian, and and other parts of the Gulf markets. We have the ability to um, service those from Salala. Again, being on on that on that east west trade, where you, you can use Salala a lot more as a staging area, you know, for some of your closer access to to those markets. And I think one of the things, and I will touch on COVID a bit more later on, but one of the things we've learned about um, COVID is that the market is demanding slightly shorter supply chains than, than was the case before. Mm. So we have that ability, let's say, to um, to, to, to be that um, staging area for, for some of those key markets. But on your point specifically, Kim, about what value do we add you know, to, um, to the economy is that uh, we, besides the, the transshipment, which creates um, um, a lot of jobs, of course, we're the biggest em- employer actually in this uh, in this region, um, in uh, in the Darfur region of, of Oman. That obviously contributes significantly to the economy as well as our um, our prioritization around trying to uh, award, uh, you know, procurement contracts, et cetera, to the local company. I think that brings in a, a lot of value. We also um, are, a, are a gateway and we're the largest, the world's largest um, uh, exports of gypsum and limestone. And that's a key contributor to the economy in the sense that we are the gateway for the rest of the world for, for these commodities. So um, without the Port of Salala being here, you wouldn't have that gateway or else you would have um, a lot longer distance to travel to because we're close to those, those mineral deposits and we're close to those mines. So I think that's a, it's a very huge part of our business as well. People very often think about, you know, obviously the container side of it, which is massively important, but we have especially the dry bulk side, which is, which is very, very important for the economy um, uh, as the as the main gateway to to the world, you know, for for predominantly gypsum, gypsum, but limestone to a certain extent as well. Yeah, and what is gypsum used for? Yeah, gypsum is used predominantly, of of course, in the construction industry. Um, you know, you you make gypsum boards out of it, um, and you're also using it in the in the manufacture of cements, etc. That's the predominant. Um, um, uh, use of it, and it's going to some of those key markets. The biggest one, of course, um, close by is uh, is India, um, and then you having, of course, massive country, huge consumption, a lot of construction going on. A very good uh, proximity to that market, and then, but then further further east as well, towards Southeast Asian countries. That is also um, that is also uh, some of the markets where 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 these commodities are going to. Yeah, good stuff. And uh, Sunil, talk to us a little bit about the last 
12 months. There's been a lot of upheaval, of course, globally, the pandemic. Uh, we've heard a lot about how carriers have been doing very, very well. Some of the big ocean carriers have made significant profits, far, far greater than previously uh, held or anticipated, even perhaps many of them. Um, how's, how's the, has this been uh, something that's affected ports? Has ports been helping to drive that profitability? What's been the, uh, the ecosystem there? Absolutely. Uh, and I think, uh, Kim, you touched upon a very interesting topic, uh, which is, uh, be, you know, uh, at a point when the world is facing a very dire situation uh, with, because of the COVID, I think it is also becoming a transformational time for the shipping industry itself. Uh, so um, while the shipping industry had expected a severe drop in uh, volumes and demand and everything, um, it did happen for the first quarter. However, things started slowly picking up. Uh, and, uh, you know, as a precaution, they had actually parked their ships and made the, there's a lot of idle fleet at that time. So, Mark, can you tell us a little bit about any lessons learned or any changes that have occurred in the business over the, uh, the last 12 months or so with all of the dramas that have been taking place globally uh, right throughout the supply chain? Anything come to mind? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's been a lot of lessons in the last uh, 12 months. I think, you know, everybody has been in this in the same boat, so to speak, um, and really trying to adjust um, as we as we go along. I mean, nobody knew what was coming. And I, I just remember a year back and the amounts of uncertainty that we had, it was phenomenal. You know, we really didn't know which way things were going to go. Um, and from a from a volume perspective, is that 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 has actually been very positive, a lot more positive than we had expected. But I mean, to answer your question, there specifically around around lessons learned. What 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 we did, and I think this was very much a, a strong lesson for me, um, and, and in a, in a positive way, is that when you have such a crisis like we we face, is that you need to make sure you're setting very clear priorities from from day number one. And this worked very well for us. And I'll and I'll, I'll give a bit more detail on that. And that the first priority is you have to make sure your people are safe. And that was very much our guiding principle. So you're making sure, for example, that you're having the best possible PPE that you can put in place. When you have this pandemic, you, 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 it's worth spending you know, money on this to make sure your people are kept safe. You make sure you got the awareness, people understand the risks of what we're dealing with. We understand a bit better now than we did 12 months ago, of course. Um, but you just need to really make sure that people are aware. And we put a lot of effort into that, and that served us very well. We were able to, to look after our people. The second priority that we put in place was, as a fundamental, was to make sure we looked after the supply chain. So we, we realized, as a hub port especially, we have a crucial role to play in the, in, the, in the regional and even the global economy in terms of making sure the supply chain remained fluid. We don't know all the time what's in the containers that we're moving around, but we knew it could be very important things that need to get to other parts of the world. And as a hub, you're having a high amount of throughput. You need to make sure that that is protected. So we did absolutely everything we could to make sure that that remained um, um, in place and we protected that as our business. We did everything we possibly could to, to, to ensure that, uh, like I said, the supply chain remained flu fluid. And then the third priority we, we put in place was to making sure we had a sustainable business. Of course, if you don't have a sustainable business through a crisis, through anything, things are not gonna work. So very basically said, I suppose, is that, you know, make sure your, your staff continues to get paid on time despite any kinds of uncertainty, make sure your suppliers get paid on time. These kinds of very basic principles in that sense as well. And that served us very well. I would say that served us very well. So, you know, if we had to do this again, which hopefully we never have to, but these would be the kinds of, of things I think us as leadership or 
Um, if, if, if I was in a, in a business, this one or another, these are the kinds of things that I would make sure were, were very well, quite simple in the sense to articulate, but it, things people are, are, are able to relate to in that sense as well. And that creates that sense of purpose. But I think the most important thing, I'll just underline that again, is as long as you make sure you're looking after your people, making sure your people feel safe, they will continue to deliver for you as well. And I think that is really a fundamental fundamental thing for all of us. Awesome. And I think just to just to add to what uh, Mark mentioned, uh, I think uh, we also uh, did um, look after the local gate uh, customers, our importers and exporters, who were really concerned about the um, additional waiting time in the port because of uh, you know uh, all the delays that are happening elsewhere, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we made sure that we give them sufficient priority so that their uh, supply chains are not affected. They get their cargo, especially the uh, essential ones like the medicines and all that we were prioritized. So these were some of the additional things that we have taken uh, up during the during the COVID times. Okay, awesome. Thanks. Thanks for that. So I guess like most businesses of any sort, you have plans for the next 12 months, three years, five years. Have any of those plans changed as a result of the last 12 months? And in which ways, if so, how have they changed? Um, so I would say probably not because we had our plans already in place. Of course, during the crisis, especially in the beginning, we weren't sure. I mean, we had no idea what the um, what the reaction of the markets was going to be in terms of COVID, what the disruption on supply chain was going to be. So we put things on pause for a certain a certain point. Let's say, well, are we reassessing? Do we really need to expand, for example? You know, in that sense, I mean, are we going to look at, you know, volumes uh, severely declining around the world? Of course, this is the way things were, the flavor of things um, you know, 12 months ago or even more, 14 months ago. Um, so, so, however, is that what was quite clear is that as we got into it, it we, we realized that the systems, the economy, um, everything that we're in is quite resilient. So it's changed a lot around people consuming a lot more from home as opposed to going out for services, which, of course, is also the reason why, and you mentioned that earlier on, while volumes have been skyrocketing and our, and our customers have been making, you know, unprecedented healthy profits in that, in that sense as well. But what it has underlined, and that's why I said it didn't change, is that it has um for us, it's underlined how important actually investing in the future is um, because the volumes are high. We as a hub port, we act for, 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 um, for, for many reasons. We act as a, as a shock absorber, if you like, in that sense, for the network for our customers as well. So it's important that we continue to protect that market position. So I would say, if, not, if anything, it's actually underlined the, the importance of making sure that we progress with the plans that we had in place. Uh, rather than changing them in any way whatsoever, so so that's really the realization that we have um, have had reinforced, I suppose, in the in the uh, the turbulent year that was that that was last year. Sure. So so one of the questions I've got in my mind is: is ports um, look extremely expensive to operate? There's an enormous amount of big equipment. There's container cranes. There's tugboats, which I presume belong to the port operations uh, business, there's massive uh, vehicles moving uh, equipment everywhere, um, and general MHD uh, everywhere looks extremely expensive, let alone uh, from the uh, acquisition point of view, capital expenditure, and then operating expenditure and maintenance. It just looks to me awfully expensive. Um, if that is the case, and confirm whether I'm right or wrong, uh, what... What are the, the main areas that you have to focus on to 
keep a port operating? And, and does the port need to operate 24 hours a day or is it just certain hours a day? Um, oh, Sunil, actually, maybe you want to you give it a go and then I'll, I'll, I'll add into that. No, I mean, uh, shipping industry, uh, you know, uh, apart from the shipping lines itself, uh, as you rightly said, uh, you know, we are uh, one of the heavy, uh, you know, capital intensive uh, business, as you rightly said. So there's a lot of heavy expensive equipments uh, and maintaining them and uh, making sure that, uh, you know, they produce enough to be able to uh, give a non-stop service 24-7 to the ships that come and go is extremely vital to make sure that the supply chain is maintained, right? So any small disruption will lead to uh, a stoppage of service, and that relates to yard congestion, which will lead to port congestion, which will lead to vessels waiting outside. So it's extremely critical for our maintenance and uh, everything to be extremely, uh, you know, um, uh, 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 very um, agile uh, at any given point. And, and that's uh, something that uh, we, we do. Uh, this uh, also calls for maintain, maintaining a farm, uh, as you rightly said, the TAGs, uh, the, the pilots, uh, uh, you know, especially during these uh, difficult times to make sure that they are all safeguarded to ensure an un uninterrupted uh, you know, service. So you're, you're, you're spot on. Uh, I think this is something that, uh, that, that, that uh, is extremely critical for our operations. And we do operate 24-7, uh, irrespective of whether it is, uh, you know, uh, holidays or whatever. It's only the um, admin staff that gets to uh, go home. But uh, I mean, go take, take, the, uh, take the off days. However, the port staff works continuously on shifts in 24-7 operation. Ooh. I'll just I'll just add a bit to that one, um, uh, if you don't mind, Kim. So so uh, obviously it depends on what port, what environment you're working in. And as you mentioned, I mean we are in an industry which is very asset heavy, um, very heavy on on the costs as well. So you need to be very careful, of course, with with such you know heavy industry in terms of cost control, etc. I mean if you're working in a gates environment, let's say, and the market doesn't need let's say service twenty four seven. Of course, like in many places in North America. Um, you know, the costs are very high for night shifts, for example, then you would adjust it, let's say. But of course, a hub port like us, we have to be 365, you know, 24-7, 365, let's say, because we are, you know, continuously needing to keep the supply chain moving. And that's what our customers demand of us in that sense as well. But then we also, we also uh, do need to make, and we are making a lot of investments on, um, on equipment. Um, and on new technologies as well to keep our fleets, because of course, a lot of economies of scale, we need, need to make sure we're keeping our fleet running very optimally and also making sure things are kept very efficient in that sense as well. So we have a lot of digitization of our assets in that sense, and that's driving the efficiencies that we need, which is all driven by remaining cost competitive. Okay. And that's very important for, for, for an industry like ours, of course, uh, or at least for a, for a business the size of ours in that sense as well. So a certain amount of planning by the sound of it needs to take place well in advance, especially for uh, capital expenditure and you know, for, for the uh, MHD items. A uh, question I've always had flying around the world back in the day when we used to fly pretty regularly, uh, you fly over Singapore or you fly over your port or any other port around, the major port around the world, Rotterdam, et cetera, you see many, many ships sitting outside the port. And I've always wondered, it's costing somebody to have those ships sitting out there, certainly the shipping lines. But how far does the reach of the port go? Do, do they have to pay costings for sitting outside of the port to the port for demurrage, or is that a cost only to the shipping lines themselves? 
Typically, that's it depends on commercial arrangements on I guess in different parts of the world, but very, very uh, typically that's not a, a direct cost for the um, for the uh, um, for the port. That is then of course the, the the shipping lines because they're the ones that are incurring those costs. But I mean, what we do, of course, and we we're very mindful of the fact that you know, just like I had mentioned before about the fact we have a heavy cost base, of course, our customers do as well. They're operating very big assets, very expensive assets as well. Um, and then our part in the in the supply chain is to make sure that that their cost burden is not is not high because we also need to be careful is that in, um, especially in this region, the product we offer, some of the products we offer, not all of them, but some of the products we offer are very commoditized, meaning that they could go for a lower cost, you know, somewhere else and get the same service. And that's particularly in the transshipment market in the Middle East. I think that's, it's well known and, and, and well understood by, by many. So if we are the one, let's say, causing, in your example, those ships waiting outside, they're going to quickly find somewhere else to go in that sense. So that's where we need to remain um, very efficient. We need to remain very um, productive. And that's where we pride ourselves, actually, as being one of the most um, uh, productive ports in the region on the, on the container terminal side. That's something that everyone measures. Of course, our shipping line customers measure us very heavily on as one of big focus that we have. So we, we work, a lot of it comes to planning. We make sure we're planning berthing windows for the customers, telling them when they need to bring their ships based on their schedule as one. Well. If, is, is, if that is adhered to, let's say, then that, that waiting time that you mentioned is then, um, is then of course, minimized as much as possible. Um, and we, again, we're very mindful of the cost for our customers, so we need to make sure that we, we plan our resources accordingly as well. So if you have a birthing schedule for, for and maybe Sunil, you can uh, talk to this one briefly. Uh, if you've got a birthing schedule, you've got a mega container ship coming in and uh, two of your cranes break down. And it, so it can, it may be able to get in, but you can't turn it around within the 36 hours or 72 hours that it's planned to turn around. It takes an extra day or two. Who bears that cost? Yeah. Uh, so um, I think, uh, Mark, uh, would you like to uh, take that question? <laughs> yeah. You know, you know why I'm asking this question, guys, is because the Suez crisis that we recently observed we're now hearing on CNN and elsewhere about, you know, who's bearing the cost of a billion dollar, you know, exactly. so yes. yeah. what's happening. So in your case, if, if you had a schedule and you had problems within the port that slowed down a ship and it slowed down its turnaround, where would the cost lie yeah. in that so, insurance yeah. issue? So, so, so generally we have a birthing window. Uh, so uh, the shipping lines will have to adhere to that window. So they have to come on time and then leave on time. So uh, usually what happens is that uh, if there are delays which are caused uh, by us, um, I think uh, when you look at the uh, uh, average, uh, that kind of delays are very, very minimal. So usually what happens is that the ships are not able to make it on schedule because of delays from the previous ports or the, you know, uh, the other the, the ports which are coming next. However, there are, as Mark mentioned earlier, there are ports where just to get in, you have to wait for a couple of days or if not, you know, there are ports where sure. peaks are also required. So this actually affects the next ports. Yeah. So they're not unable to come. But yes, uh, it, it is not something that happens quite often, um, especially in our case. Uh, we've not had such an incident, I don't know, in my memory. That's why I said maybe Mark can... Uh, okay, so not even talking about you, but just from the port, port industry. No, in the port industry, I don't think... It causes a problem. And with scheduling, who pays? The, 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 the customer, the shipping line, the port? 
So, so, so I think it's uh, it's it's basically something that gets absorbed into the system. So I don't think uh, that uh, you know anyone compensate the other for these kind of things because these are unscheduled. Force um, majeure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But I'll maybe just add a little bit to that. It's, it's a great question, right? And, and you know, obviously, there's a there's a lot of players in the supply chain in that sense as well. So typically, to answer your question, I suppose simply, Kim, is that what happens is that everyone kind of bears their own cost in that sense, based on you know their piece of it in that in in that way as well. However, it does depend to a certain extent on individual commercial arrangements that may be in place, and and um, it's not it's not uncommon, let's say, whereby um, and and just, just use a simple example, let's say a shipping line and a container terminal, whereby um, you will have in your SLA, your service level agreement with the, with the, with the shipping line, a penalty or a, um, an incentive um, mechanism into that one as well, whereby you won't be passing on direct costs. However, if you're exceeding, for example, performance on certain measures, you get paid a certain uh, you know, incentive. However, if you, of course, not achieving your, your agreement, let's say, then you might get a penalty in that sense as well. So it's not a direct cost, it's more of an indirect through the contractual kind of relationship, how these things work. But a lot of those things, um, and this is where we've worked very closely, very great example, you brought up a Suez at the moment. Of course, when that type of thing happens, the whole birthing window goes out the window because the whole schedule is messed up in that sense as well. And then what we do is we work... Um, we work very closely with our customers to make sure the resources are planned accordingly. So we know we knew exactly when the Suez was was had it opened. We knew um, you know which vessels to expect at what time. So we worked with the customer to make sure that we could accommodate the vessels in the right sequence because of course everything is now a bit more turbulent. And then, for example, the customer can prioritize which vessels they need. So then they they can also have the ability. So to say, for example, if you've got two vessels coming from Europe, you know, and they're stopping in Salada, they're going to China. They say, well, the one vessel is five days behind schedule the other vessel is only three days so you prioritize the one which is more urgent in that example um, and in that sense then they can also slow down the vessel which doesn't need to be worked earlier saving fuel costs in that sense as well for them so this is how we work very closely with our customers to make sure that a big expense for them of course um, the two biggest expense for the shipping customer is our costs, the ones that pay to the port, and then the other one is the bunkers, the fuel. So if we can help them save a little bit of that fuel cost, then this is where these kinds of you know collaboration and uh, and great working relationships come come in and are very important. Excellent. So very dynamic planning and operations by the sound of it. And I think uh, just to add to uh, that, and uh, the biggest challenge for the shipping lines or the shipping industry is just that because they don't uh, account for these eventualities into their pricing model. So, for example, when they price, they price based on the actual port costs and the streaming time, the vessel uh, slot cost, et cetera. However, uh, a Suez situation would have cost billions of dollars to shipping lines, and that cannot be passed on to the customers. Mm. So this is where the challenge of the shipping industry is, because a lot of these eventualities do happen. Weather situations, ships getting delayed, uh, you know, all this. So good point, yeah. Yeah, so you need deep pockets and uh, you need... Uh, a long vision to run a shipping line by the sound of it. Hey, gentlemen, it's been an absolute pleasure to to talk to you and, and drill down and uh, and hear a little bit about the internal operations of ports. It's been very interesting to me, and I, I hope the audience has uh, likewise been as interested to hear just how ports operate in the, in the ecosystem around that. Um, with all of our guests, I always like to finish up with a, a couple of questions around for our audience uh, and some tips for people looking to come into the industry or exploring uh, the particular, in this case, the, the ports and maritime space. Um, first of all, to you, Sonal, a quick, quick fire question. Um, in terms of uh, 
people wanting to get into the industry, uh, what would your tip be for them to explore, to look around, to, to find out how to enter into an industry? As we know, the supply chain, logistics, maritime uh, sectors have exploded to an extent with consumer patterns changing over the last 12, 18 months um, or escalating in terms of e-commerce and all of the above home deliveries and, and all of that. Um, so from your perspective, from people interested, young people in particular, interested in getting into the port sector, what would some tips, well, maybe one tip from you about how to look to explore to get into the sector? So um, I think uh, global trade uh, is the one that keeps the globe going uh, and uh, supply chain plays a vital role in the global trade. And we are a major part of that uh, you know, uh, supply chain. So we are essentially helping the businesses and the global trade to flourish. So uh, you know, uh, our basic role is to solve the problems of the people who do these trades. So when they have a problem, we offer them a solution. So for example, during the COVID times, COVID time is supposed to be, uh, or it is a big problem. However, how do you find opportunities in this problem? Uh, you go to a customer to find, understand what are the issues and that you're facing, that you're challenging. It makes you think, it makes you explore more options to look at more solutions uh, which you, you solve for that customer, which will eventually uplift the trade. So you're actually contributing to something that is quite large, much beyond uh, your own geography. You're actually touching a much wider world with your little contribution. So that's where I find uh, you know, passion in. Okay, thanks for that. Mark, any uh, tips from you? Maybe one tip for young people wanting to get into the industry. How should they look to enter? Where should they inquire? Uh, about joining. I mean, ports are, there are thousands of ports around the world. It's a massive sector, probably not well understood by the general public, but uh, very exciting industry as we've heard today. Uh, where should people look? Yeah, I think great question. I think it's a super exciting time for, for young people to be getting involved in the industry. And, and, and the reason I say that Know, compared to maybe the days when Sunil and I, and I joined, is that you're seeing a lot of disruption going on in, in the industry now. And, and what I mean by that is that you're seeing the traditional roles changing a lot. Um, all, every, uh, the, the big players, or not just the big players, all the players in, in the industry are looking to see how you integrate uh, different elements of logistics a lot more than would have been the case before. So you may have been a ports guy before, you may have been a shipping line guy before, you may have been a forwarding and clearing guy before, let's say, versus now, and the way I see the industry going is that a lot of these services are gonna be a lot more integrated than, than they were before. So if anyone is, 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 um, is looking to get into the industry, I would say, start with something, look what you have. There's a lot of great um, universities and colleges and you know all sorts of uh, education facilities out there, but keep an open mind about the fact that the, um, the industry is undergoing a change and um, um, keep a generalist mindset, I, I would say, and try to keep an open mind on different elements of it as well. I mean, there's a lot of opportunities even between sea and air now than there used to be before, you know, in that sense as well. And the customers are becoming a lot more demanding, and this is going to require us to 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 adjust the way we uh, we 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 run the industry, let's say. So so in that sense, I would say, you know, 
see what you have as, as an opportunity, but then very much be open-minded and, and, and look for, for ways that you can be creative. It, it, it's not a traditionally very creative, I suppose, um, industry, let's say, but I think a lot of that is changing now where, where we're looking for new solutions and, and new ways. And we have, you know, digital printing, for example, coming in and, and, and these, uh, you know, these kinds of things as well. And this is different ways we need to respond to as an industry about how we're actually going to be uh, you know, taking it forward, let's say. Awesome. Okay. Thanks, Mike. Uh, final quick quick fire question, 30 seconds from each of you. One uh, one tip on uh, first of all, you Sunil. You've been around, you've been in many countries, you've been across a, quite a few sectors. Uh, what would be if you look back now for your career and the one lesson that you would like to have uh, given yourself or one tip that you would like to have had earlier in your career that's helped you and from a leadership role, what would that one tip be? So people can uh, maybe absorb that and, and consider that as well. What would be one thing that you've learned over the years that you could share with people that you think might be valuable from a leadership point of view? Yeah, I, I think generally what we do uh, when we're trying to sell from a commercial person, you know, what you generally tell is still uh, the, the customer about the, the features and facts about your product, right? Um, today in this world, uh, that is actually of least importance and least interest for the customer. So today, the most important thing that I have learned is you just need to understand the business of the customer as well as him or even better. So you need to be really uh, uh, looking out for uh, things that can matter to him and then go have a discussion where it, uh, he will uh, extract the problem that, I mean, you extract the problem that he has, study on it, work back, and then he sees you adding value then definitely you have a much better chance of creating a customer stickiness, uh, ability to charge a premium, uh, and still have a long-term relationship uh, with that customer. So understanding the customer's business is extremely important. Uh, uh, Thanks, Sanil. Yeah, well, well said. Uh, Mark, over to you for the final word. Uh, leadership, you've been around. You've no doubt made plenty of mistakes like I have over the years. We learned from those. What would be the one leadership tip you'd like to share with others who are sitting in on the podcast today? Great, great question, um, Kim. I think if I had to sum it up in one word, I'd say empathy probably, you know, in, in that sense. So I think I think empathy is super important. Um, and I was reflecting a little bit that while Sunil was talking as well, thinking about the same thing, is that from a leadership perspective, the ability to put yourself in somebody else's shoes, you know, be it the people that work for you or be it your customer, always helps you to to respond in the right way, to understand what 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 leadership is needed for 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 people for that circumstance for that that situation, let's say, but also you know purely from a commercial aspect as well. If you're able to 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 respond in an empathetic way, you will, are able to find the right solutions for what your customer needs, which ultimately, of course, is going to going to drive your business as well in, in in the right way. Well done. Look, some common themes there, gentlemen. Mark Hardiman, CEO. And uh, Sonal Joseph, COO of the Port of Salala, thanks for your time today. Thank you uh, for both taking the time out on the late on a Thursday. Thank you so much, Kim. It was an absolute pleasure. Great. Great. And to our audience, thank you, everybody around the world, for, for taking time, spending it with us. As always, uh, we offer our respect and thanks to everybody in the, uh, in the swim out there at the moment, in the across the supply chain and elsewhere across the economy, keeping us safe working hard, all the people and first responders, the people in medical, right across and all the services and assisting us. Thank you so much for all of your help. To our audience, please stay safe. 
uh, distance, wash your hands, mask up, and have a great day. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.